Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome in, and thank you so much for tuning in to the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, where we talk all about banjos, and you know I'm not afraid to tout the Yoilo. In fact, I've been touting the Yoilo since... Actually, I have no idea how long I've been touting the Yoilo because I have no idea what that means, and I assume most of you don't either. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about... I posted a screenshot on my Facebook the other day. Every once in a while, I check out my Apple podcast reviews and ratings and, you know, just check in on and see what comments people are leaving and how things are going. And I'm really happy to report that I think out of all the ratings, I think they are all five star ratings, except for one. There is a username called Deb from Lex which I can only assume means there's someone named Deb who lives in Lexington, one of the many Lexington uh, cities called Lexington that are out there. And she left me a one-star review with the comment, touted the Yoilo. So there are a lot of theories about what this might mean or whether this is something I should be proud of or ashamed of or whether I should even be aware of what it means. So... Deb from Lex, if you are still out there listening, I'm not angry. I just want to understand. Please get a hold of me and explain. And for the rest of you, if you do have uh, constructive criticism of the podcast, if I'm touting Yoilos or or anything else of that nature that is somehow worthy of a, a lowly one star rating, please just let me know. You can email me anytime at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com and air all of your Yoilo touting grievances. And that's Yoilo spelled Y-O-Y-L-O. So if anybody has heard of this, I I would really appreciate knowing because I I try to get better, I try to improve, and it would probably upset me more to see a negative comment if I didn't agree with it, but I don't even understand it. So once again, if you are Deb from Lex or anybody else who has a theory of what this might mean, Or if you have any other comments or questions or concerns or suggestions about the podcast, shoot me an email. Always happy to hear from you and always happy to receive, of course, positive comments and five-star reviews are are great. But I have received other suggestions in the form of emails that uh, have improved the show. And um, I like hearing new ideas. So it's all good. The other big news for the podcast recently has to do with the Patreon rewards that I'm offering. And a lot of you probably already know about this because of the last episode that I put out, the bonus episode with Eli Gilbert. But for anybody who hasn't heard that or just wants another explanation about it, this podcast is virtually completely listener supported. And that is all done through patreon.com slash banjo podcast, where, of course, these episodes are offered for free. But for anybody who pledges a certain amount uh, per month, receives an extra incentive to do that. And Eli Gilbert is a fantastic banjo player, and he really specializes in transcribing, um, you know, note for note solos from famous players And he's just got a great ear for digging down into what makes a player's style their own. So Eli and I have teamed up and we've decided that anybody who goes to my Patreon page and pledges $4 per month is going to receive a custom lesson associated with each episode I release. So this right here, part two of my conversation with Matthew Davis, is the first episode for which anybody who is subscribed to my Patreon as a Patreon supporter at that $4 level or above is going to receive from me uh, a link that you can watch Eli Gilbert break down one of Matthew Davis's techniques that he talks about in this podcast, along with a tab sheet that's really going to help you nail Matt's style a little closer in a little bit more of a lesson format, these interviews and these episodes kind of have the feel of a lesson, but it's still kind of more of an interview, and it's not as if we really get too in-depth, and Eli is providing that for some of those Patreon supporters. So, like I said, check it out, patreon.com slash banjo podcast. I've already seen the video that he's done for this one, and it's incredible, Matthew's playing is is wonderful and anything we can do to 
to tap into that style and to his philosophy of playing is only going to help you. And Eli did a great job. So I can't wait for you to see it. So once again, go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast and learn how you can be one of those supporters that receives those individual custom lessons based on each episode that I release. Another reward on Patreon is to be officially recognized as a sponsor of one of the episodes. And today we do have a sponsor to acknowledge uh, for this episode. His name is Charles Cusbit. And Charles and I actually have a mutual friend, a brilliant guitar luthier named Joe Conkley. I worked with Joe for quite a few years at Elderly Instruments. Charles apparently grew up with him. And he, he really likes the podcast and reached out and had some really nice things to say. So thanks a lot, Charles, for supporting the podcast. He actually mentioned that he hopes that maybe mentioning his name could allow him to reconnect with some old bluegrass pals. So if you are by any chance from the Pennsylvania area and grew up with Charles Cusbit and played some bluegrass, uh, reach out to him. He's, he's, he's wanting to reconnect with people and uh, hopefully have a good time and, and pick some tunes. You know, I've always told myself that if I end up with an extra five grand or so laying around, yeah, I'm sure that'll happen anytime now. But uh, even as a banjo player, I always wanted to get one of uh, Joe Conkley's guitars. So if anybody out there is looking for a Christmas gift idea for me, you know, the holiday is round, right around the corner. And uh, I think a Conkley guitar would really go nice under the tree. It would it would just fit perfectly, I can tell already. So uh yeah, Joe Conkley makes wonderful guitars and it's cool connecting with Charles and to have that personal connection with him. But now let's get back to the episode. This is the second half of my conversation with Matthew Davis. So I won't bother introducing him. You can listen to the to the previous one for a bit of that. Uh but this, I, I, the only thing I'll say about this one is it is a bit more casual in tone than most of mine. And it's because we, we had a bit of time to sit and chat and it was really great just hearing him really get into the details and he enjoys it. And that's, that's part of the cool thing. He loves thinking about all the details of the tailpieces and bridges and the picks that he uses. And so even though it might make for a little more of a meandering style of a conversation I think he really gives some good insight especially uh, about improvising and things that all of us could do to improve our playing and our practice routines especially so I know you'll like listening to what he has to offer so yeah check it out I hope you enjoy the second half of the conversation with Matthew Davis Just leaving like those little spaces here yeah. and there, you know, so the the rhythm sort of has a shape to it instead of, you know, and that way when you improvise, the rhythm becomes a much more present aspect of of the Im- improvising, and it's honestly, I would argue, a more important aspect of improvisation than than harmony, because when you think, I mean, when I think about it like this, you know, it's like harmony. There's only 12 notes before they start repeating mm-hmm. but with, with rhythm I mean it exists in time or like horizontally not vertically and I mean the possibility for variation is endless you know you, the, you could play the same rhythm a different way just by moving things slightly yeah it never um, really has to repeat yeah and although I mean we do re- repeat you, you have so much more freedom to really be you in your rhythm than in your Harmonic. You know, I, I saw this meme once. I, I kind of didn't, I don't know who made this meme. I kind of didn't like it at first because I didn't think it was funny and memes to me are supposed to be funny. Um, right. But it's super true. It was like this meme that was like, it was, a, it was like a banjo uh-huh. player and like showing their hands up close. And it said like, your left hand is what you know, your right hand is who you are. And I was sort of like, oh, you know, um, but that's actually really true. I uh, gotta say, yeah, you, it takes me a second to think about what it might mean. Yeah, uh, but I think I think I think about it more of like your left hand being like your, yeah, knowledge of the fretboard and like harmonic 
things and where your right hand is like the thing that the rhythm comes from. Mm -hmm. And so basically, yeah, I've been really getting into, to rhythm stuff. Yeah. That's something, I mean, it seems like you improvise a lot, right? Yeah. Like that's a big part of what you do. Mm -hmm. And I think what really appeals about your sound is that it seems really creative for one thing. It seems like you really have the ability to execute these creative things and it's all at like a fast tempo. So it becomes really exciting. And I'm wondering how you, like, do you have a way that you developed either your creativity or your dexterity to be able to like execute these sort of things that like, they seem wild to people like me. Maybe they don't seem too wild to you, but like, well, the speed definitely, definitely comes from just doing it a lot and like slowly speeding it up, Mm -hmm. you know, for sure. I think everyone sort of has a general idea of how, how you take something and then play it faster and how you practice that. But just in terms of like a lot of the single string stuff I do and just getting, getting the facility, I like to do exercises where, and very helpful for improvising outside of just the facility, but of just, um, being able to play the ideas that you have. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I try to do a lot of exercises of like, whether, whether it's more of a mental exercise than a physical one of sort of getting really, really, really comfortable with all the intervals on the left, like on the fingerboard, you know, Um, just knowing like, if this is a, if this is a fourth here on these two strings, it's like a fourth there, you know, and then, eh, you know, I guess same, like learning how to navigate intervals like that and more like, uh, like learning where all the, all the relationships between the strings, because, you know, unlike mandolin, you yeah, know, you, you can't just <laughs> you can't just play something here and then move it somewhere else and it works. It you know it doesn't. And so for me, like that's been the biggest obstacle to like playing, you know, getting the ideas actually out and not like falling back into like my muscle memory of like you know licks or whatever I would do normally. So practice um, each of the intervals in basically every combination of where you might find yeah. them. And yeah, sort of just knowing those like in your mind and then knowing Mm -hmm. how they feel like this is one that like, oh, let's see. Yeah. What is this? I don't do frets very well. Ninth, ninth fret on the D string on the low D string and then like fifth fret on the G string and getting that minor two that half step right there. Like that's something that most people probably don't play very often. (laughs) I would imagine Um, that. Yeah. But having having that like just in my hands already and like f- getting really comfortable with where that like how that feels everywhere on the fretboard interesting things like that tend to be really useful um so like learning these shapes how they sound and how they work how they function mm-hmm. um yeah learning scales and stuff or you know I, a lot of the exercises i do are like so forth um and, and so what were you doing it looked like you were um going up in thirds through yeah. the diatonic yeah scale. basically yeah okay those are more helpful for honestly for like the right hand yeah because that's it, a- you know because i'm not, i typically don't like to just use my thumb and index for that sort of stuff so learning how to work in the third finger is also okay. pretty like necessary for my imp- improvising, especially when getting into like rhythmic stuff that isn't just sixteenth notes that are yeah. solid. Because if you are just playing sixteenth notes, then this totally works of just thumb index repeat, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because it, you're always going to land up right, 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 even if there's some awkward moments, you know, of crossing over a string weird. But playing like different rhythmic shapes you know, you, you sort of get flip-flopped in like which, you know, if you want your thumb to be leading and you're playing in like a triple sort of feel. Yeah, it'll get upside down Getting things to line up and not just be super awkward definitely sort of requires bringing the middle finger, sometimes even back to like the fourth string, which, which I do on occasion. I, not, not a lot, but you know, sometimes, sometimes you, you have to. So I've sort of tried to get to a point where I don't have to think about it just comfortable mm-hmm. in any one, one situation. Of the, one yeah. of the exercises, this is something that if you're listening, you could just try if you're interested in this sort of thing. But um, one of the things I do, whatever those sort of scale patterns, exercises that I do, so I start by just doubling every note. Uh, 
doing it like that and sort of just getting comfortable with that. The Is way that, that just feels. thumb and index? That's just thumb and index. Yeah. But then starting to alternate twos and threes. So like. That sort of thing. That that'll really be a work a workout. Yeah, that's um, interesting. And, and, and you can still do that with just thumb and index, but like getting comfortable with for every other time your index is gonna be leading, not your thumb. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's exercising like so many different things at the same time. Yeah. It's like it's your brain, your uh-huh. both hands individually. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. Is that the kind of stuff you do when you practice? Like what what is your typical practice routine like? Yeah, that I'll usually warm up by doing that mm-hmm. um, and just sort of, yeah, go over just technique. If there's anything I've noticed in my playing, like over the last like recent, you know, whatever, yeah. if there's anything that sticks out to me that, that I remember of like, oh, I tried to do this, but I couldn't do this. Okay. I try to be mindful of those things and like think of an exercise that I could do to help build whatever, wherever like that skill might be weak. Is there a recent example of something that you've... Uh... I'm, tr- I'm trying to think, because that idea sounds really great, but honestly, it's pretty hard to remember. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think. Oh, this, was, this was a while ago, because I do this a lot now, but one of the things was, like, I you know, have these ideas where I'm playing... Uh, 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 the, the sort of, like, just throwing in a little triplet here mm-hmm. and there. That was one of the things where... I had to start incorporating the third finger in a more like systematic way than just being able to do it at will, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I sort of. You know, sort of. And like your goal doing is exercising exercise like that. Yeah. Is your goal to have a different note for each of those three triplets, or do more of like almost an Irish? Definitely um, the, a different note for each of them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. Cool. So learning how like that third finger coming into play feels on different strings and like. Yeah. yeah that that was sort of one of those things where I like was trying to because if you try to do that just thumb and index. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're gonna get twisted it, up pretty it just, good. Yeah, it's a little bit too. It's not fluid enough for for my taste. Yeah, I um, agree. It, it's it can work, of... but it's definitely difficult. But yeah, that, I'll usually start my practice with a general look at my technique, warm up, mm-hmm. um, maybe play something difficult that I have written or like have learned, or like play some Bach, you know, something to really get the hands warmed up. And, yeah, uh, that's that's usually how I like start my like first segment of practicing, and then after that I'll like practice improvising or if i need to like write tunes or if i want to write tunes i'll like write something you know how do you practice improvising oh yeah so there's a few things that i like to do because there's there's a sort of general approach that i think i did for a long time and i only recently realized isn't a very efficient way of practicing um (laughs) please share with us okay so you know inefficient practice so if i'm gonna start like soloing over something really difficult like giant steps and i'm going uh uh, I can't remember the chord. I'm sort of just like going through it, but it doesn't, you know, you'll, you'll, you know how you'll like, you'll be practicing improvising. You're like playing a solo, like sort of in your mind and then you get stuck. And so you stop and like figure out like, wait, how do I play that idea I was trying mm-hmm. to play? And then you figure it out and you keep moving. And that can sort of be useful for like getting those ideas like clearer and sort of trying to to sweep away the obstacles that might trip you up. But that's sort of that's sort of just like a trial and error way of doing it where I like to take a more systematic approach to like getting that sort of stuff taken care of when I practice my technique. In a way it's almost like analogous to coming up with your festival contest pieces where maybe you'll be working through a piece and in real time though you're you're trying to think of like what the best I don't know, coolest yeah. thing to do. Because when I, yeah, when I think about like, imp- if I want to be better at improvising, to me, basically, I've sort of been noticing this more and more lately, that being good at improvising doesn't um, necessarily mean getting to the point where you can play whatever you want and you don't make mistakes. It's more like when you do make the inevitable, like you're, 
always going to make mistakes uh-huh. or like the idea is not always going to come out exactly how you want it. Uh-huh. But so how you adapt to that in the moment and not just like totally lose it is largely what I think makes a good improviser. And right. so many great ideas can come out of that too. Just being able sort of to, you know, your ideas are like fueling your solo or, or maybe it's not a solo, but you know, whatever you're improvising. But, but then there's this other side of it. That's like being able to ride the wave of like, Something what, unexpected. Whatever, whatever unexpected yeah. thing happens. And that also applies to like listening to others. You know, maybe, maybe you can play your ideas really well, but if someone else plays something and, and you're really supposed to be like improvising and reacting to them, being able to, you know, sort of follow that in the moment and abandon your idea and like yeah. hop on that thing or make your idea work with theirs. And that's why it's so important to have developed these ways of like getting around different rhythms because you don't right. know if you're fiddler might play one of those rhythms and all of a sudden you yeah you need to also to, to yeah. respond properly and, and so and so neglecting that sort of technical facility sort of practice and then trying to group that into like practicing while while you're practicing improvising to me just is a little a little messy it's sort mm-hmm. of like when you're when you're like on stage or in a jam and then you like have to like stop to like practice something so you can actually <laughs> yeah. play it in that's, the tune yeah like that's how it feels you know but it's not really how it works. Yeah. Right. And so when I practice improvising, one of the things I do, you know, whether, whether you like have to rely on like a rhythm backing track or not, I think it's best to not, here's a really good exercise. So it can work with any like simple tune, you know, but like a fiddle tune. So like keep the melody in your, in the back of your mind while you're improvising. Mm-hmm. And I guess that sort of can start with like just keeping the chord changes like in your mind. But for me, it's, it's a lot better to have the melody because then you like have that shape and you have the ideas that are present in the melody in your mind so you can sort of like quote them in your solo. So your solo sounds like it's actually a part of that song and not yeah. just a bunch of licks. Or you can kind of hop back on and off yeah. as, you, as you go. Definitely, yeah. And that's something that's, that's really fun, sort of reminding the listener that like this is still this song. Do you feel like you succeed in doing that? Like even when you're performing most of the Sometimes. time? Sometimes. Sometimes, uh, yeah. It's always really nice when it works out that way. Yeah. Um, but it is sort of like a perpetual thing that I'm trying to practice. Yeah, like one of two things will happen if I don't do that when I try to practice improvising. Either I'll just totally go off into my own like new territory that's not even like a part of whatever tune mm-hmm. I started playing, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it is bad if you're trying to practice for like improvising with others yeah, um, yeah. on a tune. Uh-huh. Um, so like that might happen or I'll do the thing. Yeah. That thing where you like stop and have to like work out an idea. Um, but so basically though, just treating your improvising time when you're practicing as if you're performing or like not like holding yourself accountable. Like I'm going to improvise and whatever happens, I'm going to keep going and I'm going to stay with the tune. Yeah. The even band isn't going to, even though there's no band playing, like the tune is, the tune is going. Yeah. That um, that's really good. If you start to rely on your crutch of, do-overs or, or whatever you yeah. want to call it. Yeah. You're, you're not really preparing yourself for what you right. need to do. Cause it is a habit too. Like if you get used to just taking mistakes and, you know, doing something with it and just getting through it in your solo, that's like a good habit to build. Whereas like conversely, you can build the bad habit of like stopping when, when a mistake happens. Yeah. I've definitely had that habit before and it's a tough one to break. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm thinking I might too. Yeah, I think I still do a little bit. Um, but I think a lot of it too just takes like being mindful about it. But just trying to keep these things in your head until mm-hmm. they get so like a part of your playing that you don't have to think about them. Excellent. Yeah, that sounds really useful. We haven't talked about your banjo yet. Ah, tell, banjo tell me, uh, yeah, tell me what this is. This is uh, an Ohm banjo. Their model names basically only apply to like what inlay pattern it has in terms of distinguishment, but it has, uh, it has their MB 200 tone ring, okay. which is just a, it's a 20 hole tone ring. And I think it's like a custom alloy or however, however, whatever makes their tone rings. Ohm. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, their formula. Cause I know they have, they have other tone rings like their HG 50 is it's, I think it's modeled after like the alloy of Earl Scruggs tone ring. Like somebody oh. analyzed it and then sure, made sure. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. And it's mahogany. Got a 12-inch radius. Uh, I have wide frets that I had put on it last year. They're nickel frets. Um, it okay. ha- it's set up for, it's got about like a 7 eighths bridge, which is kind of massive compared 
to like what is normal, but yeah, that's really high, isn't it? It it is pretty, pretty tall. I really like it. Is there a reason you chose that height or something that you like about that in particular? Well, um, I'm, I'm attracted to the tall bridge kind of because, well, it feels really good on the right hand Uh and like tonally it's sort of strange how they work. I think there's something about it that sort of contributes to like the warm, like darker sounds. But at the Having same time, a taller time, bridge, yeah, okay. But at the same time, the taller the bridge gets, the more pressure will be, like sure. the more string tension, which would right. contribute towards brightness. And also, the further back the bridge will have to move to be like intonated properly. Um, yeah, because you know the taller you get, you have to adjust more. Yeah, a little um, more distance. And so that would also contribute to more like bright things. But so you know, it's that's kind of counterintuitive, then, isn't it? it? Well, it's just I think it's just doing a few different things at the same time sort uh-huh. of some things are darkening some things are not darkening yeah. the tone but i think depends in on general, which one wins i think i think in general it definitely changes the tone and i know guys like like bela and gnome and scott vestal like the tall bridges and this bridge that i have right now um was built by tim Purcell recently and it's just yeah maple and ebony top but it was modeled after after a brian hooper bridge um, that's similar to the one Bailey uses. Right, um, right. And the reason that works on this banjo this is worth mentioning too, because you can't necessarily just slap a tall bridge on any banjo because the action will be too high. Uh-huh. And if you try to adjust for it, you know, you'll probably warp the rim too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but so this neck is angled Flatter. by four. So the banjo's built for a tall bridge. Yeah. I, um, I actually got this secondhand from Bela uh, a couple years ago. He had had Ohm build this. A while back, I think probably two years before that, I think is when he had them build this. Yeah, he wasn't using it a whole lot, and I really liked it and uh, worked out. Oh, that's really cool. So that's Um, why the bridge was made to his specifications of what he of what he wanted, and same thing with the neck angle and all that. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Well, it's in good hands, Bela. What what kind of wood is that? What is it? A so it's mahogany. Okay. Um, I have I have my other banjo here too, which is maple, and um, yeah, I've been a fan of the mahogany lately. Yeah, um, I'm a big fan of the dark tone. People people probably know that if they know me. Yeah, so I'm always sort of trying to like make my banjo tone darker, not not like to the point of be, being too dark, but you know. The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Deering Banjos, who want you to know that banjo teachers love good times. In a recent survey conducted by Deering, over 200 banjo teachers were asked, how likely is it that you would recommend the good time banjo to your students? An overwhelming 85% responded that they would, with the number one reason being that good times are easy to play. Even Good Time Ambassador and 2019 IBMA Banjo Player of the Year, Kristen Scott Benson, agrees that you will not find a better banjo than this in the price range of the Deering Good Time. With the Good Time banjos, Deering understands the importance of starting out with a banjo that will help not hinder your banjo learning experience, which is why they make sure that each and every Good Time banjo leaves looking great, feeling great, and sounding great. For more information and to see exclusive videos from Good Time Ambassadors Kristen Scott Benson and Pete Wernick, head over to DeeringBanjos.com slash Teachers Love Good Times. You mentioned that you changed something with the setup recently, but I don't think you oh, yeah. said um, what it was. Oh, my head tension. Yeah, oh, I, I had been okay. keeping right. my head tension at around... F sharp or like between F sharp and G to get for, that dark tone. For, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that sweet dark tone. It, and it does that, but it's also a little floppy. And so it's like kind of hard to find that balance. Yeah. And it sounds, this banjo sounds really good with that head tension. Um, but yeah, recently I've tightened it to G sharp. And what do you think so far? Mr. Scruggs would have wanted. No, um, yeah. I'm really liking it. It's like, it hasn't lost its darkness, but it's got a little more pop, you know? Yeah, it sure does. Um, wow. And, yeah. and it didn't really have all that before. Huh. Um, and so yeah, I'm kind of exploring. There are things I like about it and things I don't in terms of that head tension. Are you into setups quite a bit? You, you, I, I you do, enjoy monkeying with that? I do enjoy that quite a bit. It's okay. hard for me to not mess with it like every week, but I know it's usually better if I leave it when I get it somewhere good. Is but there yeah. something... Be- so if you say that you had it at an F sharp and now you're at a G sharp, 
it's hard for me not to wonder, like, why don't you just split the difference at G? Does something weird happen with resonances and the tuning yeah, of the banjo? I think so. Okay. I've definitely heard that. And every time I've ever had my head tuned to G, it never se- sounds quite right. Okay. It does. I think because there's always like, even if you're not playing a G note, there's like usually like a, you know, G like overtone. Sympathetic out. frequency yeah. happening. Um, and if it's not perfectly in tune, it could. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Honestly, I like having it like close to G, but just not G. If I have it between F sharp and G, and uh-huh. I have it a little bit closer to G, sometimes that's a really nice place for the head tension to sit. Okay. But yeah, right now it's... But you're rocking G sharp for a while now. It's like a little, See bit, how that works. A little bit flat of G sharp right now. Okay. I usually, like, I, I usually don't put it directly on a pitch because I don't want it to, to like ring out when I play that note. Or do something weird. Cause yeah, by the time you've capoed and everything, you'll play them. You'll play them all eventually. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, totally. What are the rest of your preferences? You have, um, you have like tail tailpiece, tailpiece head height. picks. Yeah. So let's see. Yeah, I have a pre-war tailpiece on right now. It's not an original five. It's one that's been punched, but you know, it sounds good. That, that, yeah, that's um, how they end up being. And um, did that come with the banjo? It did not. No, it came with an. It's a presto style tailpiece that this came with, which is not Ohm's like standard tailpiece. But okay. I think they get their prestos from Pruka, if I'm not mistaken. I might be wrong, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but. but anyway, yeah. So I had a presto on there, and then I just along the somewhere along the line replaced it with this pre-war. I bought it from uh, Bob Smokula, Smokula Fretted Instruments in okay. West Virginia. Just if, if anyone's curious, he has good stuff. Did you um, notice a difference with that? Yeah, and I and I still do because sometimes I switch back. I don't know what it is, but it definitely sounds different. Also, it's like it's a little bit weaker at like the the joint, you know, where it makes the right angle, which probably isn't great because that means I can't put a lot of tension on it, and I don't want it to break. Yeah, that would be awful. Maybe snap someday. Um, and I which... don't keep I keep my tailpiece pretty high. Okay. Um, but I noticed that like because it's a little more flexible there. The tailpiece sort of angles up towards the bridge more than it like presses down yeah. or like stays completely horizontal. Sure. And the newer Prestos that I've used don't do that. They sort of just stay like flat. You think um, that might have something to do with it? That might have something to do with the string tension. Yeah. Also just the sound of like the metal itself. I mean, this doesn't sound like better than when you tap any Presto, but I think there's probably something in that. Um, yeah, it's all a factor. Because there's, there's definitely overtones happening all the time. Yeah, you can hear it if you mute the strings behind the bridge. Yeah. There's definitely a different yeah. tone. But yeah, I like to keep my tailpiece pretty high. You sort of have to with the tall bridge. You know, you can't crank it down. Yeah, I don't like a ton of like tension. The help, yeah, it just helps open up the tone yeah. for, for how you want. Cool. What about, what about picks? Uh, so I use a blue chip, uh, the JD... Thumb pick, uh, JD Crow yeah. signature, medium, because I have a medium thumb, I guess. <laughs> uh, and I have pre-war oval eights that I've been using. Oh boy, I had a scare the other day. There's this. Oh no. There's this like fast food Thai restaurant down the street that I eat at way too much. Is it no Thai? Um, it's no Thai. Okay, I'm it's familiar. No-tie. Okay, yeah. What, what's your dish of choice? Well, it depends. I I'm really a big fan of oh, what's it called the uh, the pad Thai curry. Okay. Um, Ooh, that yeah, that is a good one. Drunk, I, drunken noodles are pretty good. I there. like drunken noodles. I I also the potato curry. The potato, the potato curry. curry. That was the other. I couldn't think of what it was. I was like, yeah. there's something with potatoes that I you used know, to always get. There. You know, not to too heavily involve you know Grant Flick in this podcast, but so he gets the potato curry every time. We've been go- we've been going to that no tie for years. It sort of drives everyone crazy because they're like, you could try other things, you know. Yeah. And he's like, I'll have a chicken potato curry potato no spice curry. you know just like, no spice come that's on that's how man. he likes it grand <laughs> um, well on, it, it is good though i have had that a few times i do like the potato curry anyway though that this was not meant to just talk about no tie um <laughs> or grant i uh i typically don't wear shorts but because it's summer you know i was wearing shorts the other day yeah and i had my finger picks in my pocket and weird thing i found a random key in my pocket that I did, had no idea what it went to in like mm-hmm. this pair of shorts that I haven't worn in ages because like probably since last summer. But I was at no tie. I found this key in my pocket, pulled out the key, and I was like, huh, 
I guess I'll put it on my key ring and see if I, you know, eventually find this lock that it yeah, goes just... to. But besides the point, um, I got back home, I'm missing one of my oval eights. And I'm like, oh no, where did it go? You're replaying and, in your mind. And I was thinking, yeah, and I was like scoured, you know, the messy apartment trying to find it and could not find it. And I was like thinking, <laughs> maybe it's in like, we had taken Jacob's car and I was thinking, oh, maybe oh, it fell seat. out in yeah, yeah. the seat. And then called him and he's like, nope, not in the car. And this was actually the day my, my car battery decided to die. Oh, and no. so I had to get a jump start to go down to no tie and leave my car running so it didn't you know, die again. And um, I went inside and I found this poor little squashed, you know, like ovulate just in the corner. I had called to ask if anyone picked it up and they're like, nope, no finger picks here. And I was like, they probably don't know they exactly. They don't what know what a for. finger pick is. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind yeah. of like a thimble, but not, I don't <laughs> yeah. know. It's a little metal thing. Yeah. But anyway, so I found it in the corner, like someone must've stepped on it and it got, you know, oh, no. kicked across the floor, but I'm just glad that I found it. And I bent it back and sh- I mean, you can sort of it's see still there, alive. Well, on the, on the edge where it's sort of got that. Yeah. yeah. But it works. Oh no. Um, I'm glad you found it. That's... Me too. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm very attached to this set of picks. And you're, you're convinced that there's something to the. To the old finger picks, um, superior I'm to... I'm convinced by this set that I really like this set of finger picks. Okay. I've not had a chance to play a ton of oval eights, but I know I used to use the Hoffmeyers before these, and I really liked those, but mm-hmm. now when I compare, I just tend to prefer these. I've also tried, like, the, the newer Nationals as well. Not, not a big fan of those either. I mean, they're fine and everything, but the, yeah, something about these just sounds really good. They're very clean, and they're also very comfortable. Hmm. Which is funny, you know, because there's so many finger picks these days that are like designed to, to like supposedly be, exactly yeah, the same, right? To right. be to be or to be exactly the same, or then on the other hand, like to be like super super comfortable and yeah. like not make your cuticles peel back or whatever <laughs> whatever people are after with yeah. comfort. Totally. Um, but these, yeah, yeah, they're really really comfortable. Is that the only set that you have of ovulates? Yeah, yeah. We need to talk because if you if you're having finger pick incidents like that I get you one of these it's like uh i see i used to have one of those and then i and now i don't or <laughs> film containers something yeah. like that yeah 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 and i usually don't keep my picks in my pocket i usually keep them in my case okay so they don't get lost so this was like multiple layers of yeah this was just precautions uh-huh. just disregarded yeah yeah okay it was a weird day <laughs> well i think it was because my picks were out of my case because i was setting up my other banjo oh and of course yeah roommates come in they're like hey let's go to no tie and i'm like i haven't eaten lunch yet sure yeah. and i did that and i just put my picks in my pocket i guess yeah so beware don't don't go to no tie with your picks <laughs> in your pocket while you're setting up your other banjo while you when especially if you're gonna find a, a key that you don't know what it goes to in, in one of your pockets. And that, if you do find one, that's when you should be hyper vigilant about yeah, what else you're there's dropping definitely on the a connection floor. There, something, something about that key. I still don't know what it goes to. Yeah, now we need to really find out. Yeah. Um, what's your What's your stage setup? Um, let's see. So I blend um, a Sure Beta ninety eight HC clip on mic. That's a mouthful. Um, I blend that. It means something to yeah. It's to some it's like people. a it's a cardioid condenser yeah. mic that just clips on. Um, it's not meant for banjo. Yeah, it's like a it, drum tom mic. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I know some horn players use them, like clip it. Oh, on Oh right, bell. right. Yeah. Um, but I just clip it on a J hook and sort of the, let the um, the connector where the wire comes out like go down into the like in the flange a little bit and loop back to keep it from like getting yanked on and stays pretty secure yeah. like that. Yeah. I've never had it work itself free or anything. It's always, it's just got a like jaws that clamped on with like a little rubber tips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I have a Fishman rare earth pickup. Um, and so I blend those in a grace Felix preamp. Oh yeah. Excellent. Yeah. This is super like mind numbing banjo minutia, but, um, I also That's invert the, the exact I, type of thing that this podcast. I was is about for, to say so. this is the place for it. If, yeah. if there were, if there is a place for it. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. I also I invert the face on the pickup. You know, I don't. I'm not like a smart audio person. So if if you are a smart audio person listening to this, maybe well, need to be corrected. since you since you asked, so the reason <laughs> so the reason you would have to do that theoretically is that so your banjo head is a membrane and when it vibrates it's right you know slightly vibrating up and down 
right. or in and out, however you want yeah, to look yeah. at it. And when you have a microphone, so, so microphone signals have polarities. There's like plus and minus. Mm-hmm. And so a plus might be when the banjo head is going toward the microphone. Um, and then the minus would be when it's away and it's all air right. pressure kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So the plus toward the microphone, since the pickup is inside your banjo. It needs to be a minus. Or it the, is a minus. Right. But that would cancel out if you're combining waveforms right. and one is a plus and the other and is a minus. And I think I had they, some general idea of that in my mind. Like yeah. If it's on this side and the other thing is on this side, I need to invert it so it's right. It's about know? the waveforms canceling yeah. out. Now, you can also screw with it. That's with a big asterisk by it because you can also screw with it depending on how far away from the head right. I know, the microphone yeah, I know is. I, I don't have the capability with the grace to time align them, mm-hmm. which would be nice. But, I mean, it's a, it's a matter of centimeters, but I'm sure there's still some sort of thing happening but i basically just go by ear and like it definitely sounds more real when i invert the phase yeah i mean if you wanted to that would be a cool experiment the next time you're in like a decent studio yeah your brother nick could probably i have actually done that before okay the difference isn't massive okay um yeah and probably a lot of it is lost in like crappy house systems anyway. Right. Yeah. So, so, but, you know, for the good it's gigs. It's still interesting. Yeah, um, <laughs> the good gigs. Well, not, not that good gigs are dependent on a good sound system, but, you know, for gigs that have a good sound system. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, but no, it's, I, I'm pretty pleased with that tone. Um, I don't have any pedals right now. I've been trying to up my pedal game. I've been challenged by my bandmates to up my pedal game. From which band? Circus Number 9. Okay. Yeah. What, they want you to get crazy with delays and phasers and things? I think they want me to get crazy. I don't know how crazy I'm (laughs) prepared to get, but I think I could benefit from like a reverb pedal uh, at the very least. Yeah. Um, Because sometimes, you know, it can sound kind of dry and like just close when it's like this, you know, big, like vast sort of like sound and and you don't want it to sound up close. Um, Yeah. Just let it breathe a little bit. Yeah. I'd also love to get an octave pedal, like an octave down. I think that'd be really fun on banjo. It would be, yeah. Especially a lot of that single string stuff would be. Yeah, that's sort of what I'm thinking. Nuts. Yeah. Anyway, though, so that's my, yeah, that's my. I just send like a like a sixty forty like mic pickup blend out. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Anything we didn't cover yet that you that you felt like you wanted to to say or or um, to to get to? This is sort of. Um, a little bit more personal information, but still banjo, of course. Um, but I'm getting I'm getting a new banjo. Oh so, yeah, I yeah. forgot to ask you about right. that. Yeah. Okay. So, and, yeah. and both you you referenced that you have your other banjo here too. That's another ohm, right? Mm-hmm. And you said that was maple, but right. they're they're making you a new one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so tell me one, about that. So one of the things about this banjo, I love the way this banjo sounds. And one of the things about it though that I wish was different is that I. I want to get a wider neck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny. I've actually wanted a wider neck since I was like 14 or 15. And, and why do you uh, think that is? You just always had a sense that... I just, want, I just sort of want more room. I don't have very big hands, so I'm kind of hoping it'll be... It'll actually be like I can still play all the same, same things when I have to like wrap around my thumb. Are you I, worried I mean, about it? Not, I mean, not really. Like okay. when I play like Bela or Gnome's banjo, I don't have... It's like super comfortable. All right. And I basically had... The, the neck dimensions like roughly modeled after that sort of idea. Okay. It's like, but it, yeah, it's going to be mahogany neck. So this banjo is 1.28 inches at the nut, um, you know, proportionally like gets wider and everything. Um, but the, yeah, this new one is going to be 1.33 at the nut. All right. Yeah. <laughs> now we're cooking. Um, <laughs> um, so a whole, a whole five, five times. Yeah. <laughs> But it'll make a big difference, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, run through what the other specs on that. You said it was going to be a top tension, right? Yeah, so it's going to be a top tension. It's uh, although just the like the tensioning system will be a, you know it'll be a top tension. It won't have like the flat backed resonator that's okay. like you know standard on like the old top tensions. Yeah, mostly because I don't want my banjo to be even heavier. It'll probably be slightly heavier. It'll still be heavier the, from the hoop, yeah. right? A little bit, but. I think I've heard that the resonators sort of where most of that comes from. Cause they are heavy. Yeah. And flat. Yeah. Um, I'm always curious as to what the sound of effect of that is though. Of the flat back. Yeah. I think that's, it's gotta I have something to do with it. I think that's a big, um, reason why 
top tension sort of sound the way they do. Mm -hmm. And so this, it's sort of an experiment, but also because I don't like necessarily want the top tension sound per se, but I'm sort of curious, like what is like only changing, you know, the having basically no J hooks and a top tension hoop, how that will affect the tone regardless of like changing, you know, the resonator. Yeah. Um, So that'll be fun. It's always fascinating. Banjos are just so (laughs) prone to, to having science experiments done on them. Yes, they are. Um, Which is great. So I'm I'm excited for that. It's going to have the same tone ring um, or same model tone ring that this banjo has. Yeah. Three ply maple rim. And another one of the things, so this is sort of what's interesting about this banjo. Ohm's metal hardware is pretty like dense brass. Whereas Mm. I'm pretty sure like Huber and like Pruka and people that are more going for like the, the Gibson style metal, um, you know, outside of the tone ring that is, um, yeah. It tends to be, I think, have more. I don't know much about metal, but it's not. It's not as much brass content. It's a little less dense. Yeah, Um, I don't know as much either. Like I, I always hear people talk about like pop metal. Pop metal. It's a little bit. But I don't know what that actually is. Well, I think one thing is that it's cheaper because I know, not not that that's you know a bad thing, but like less expensive. But it's a little bit lighter. Mm-hmm. And probably doesn't last as long, like if, you know, you were to let it sit for 200 years or something. But I'm curious how that will affect the tone, too. Because yeah. I know, I think a big part of why ohms sound the way they do is because of this, like, brass. Um, the density. Like, yeah, just the them. density of the... And I know this banjo is sort of heavier than most, and there's huh. nothing about it that should make it that much heavier. And I think that might be part of it, that ohms... The, the metal parts. Yeah. Is the flange that same way too? I think, yeah, the flange and the tension hoop, I think. I've heard some people say that they intentionally don't want metal parts to be brass other than the tone ring because they don't want them to resonate as much or they don't want any overtones. Huh. And that brass, like, or bronze, you know, like a bell. It'll guess, ring more. Ring, yeah, yeah, ringy. But I certainly love the way this banjo sounds and ohms in general, you know. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much that goes into it. It's hard to know, but um, it's fascinating, and it's 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 just a fun thing about being a banjo player is getting yeah. to either design them or, or search after the parts that you that you're yeah. into. Um, but super excited! Yeah, they're gonna do sort of like the you know the wider, more square shaped peg head. Oh, like, like the, a, more like of the, a top tension yeah, classic like the sort of art deco. Look. Like I yeah. love that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, more like blocky inlays. But that's all just, yeah. When do you expect to um, have that? I think sometime in the fall, fall or winter. Oh, great. Sounds like, yeah. Not super sure. I mean, whenever it gets finished. Um, of course. Yeah, I think roughly sometime then. I know that they, I think they milled the neck a while ago. And I actually have a call scheduled for tomorrow to sort of check in and see how things are going. A little that. update? Yeah. Yeah. Because um, cool. I, I haven't heard uh, from a while. I've just been super busy touring and haven't really been thinking about it much. Mm-hmm. Which makes it go faster. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to put um, it out of your mind. Oh, but the other big thing I forgot to mention. So, so I, you know, I love the tall bridge, but I don't necessarily want the neck to be angled as steep. Yeah. Because I know that definitely contributes to more string tension. But so one of the, one of the other changes on, on this new banjo will be that instead of angling the neck back to compensate for the taller bridge, mm-hmm. the neck will be like raised slightly and still angled back some. But um, basically the the neck will be mounted slightly higher up on the rim. Yeah, um, interesting. And just a very, very small bit. I think it's like... You're not doing the fingerboard extension thing? Not, not doing the fingerboard extension. Okay. There's a part of me that's wanted that for a while, but, you know, I kind of Because that's like, how those have to be too, right? They, they would right, have to be raised have to raise up. raise those too, yeah. Um, I, I do sort of like not having them in, in a certain sense, like... It's, I don't know, it's kind of nice to, like, to have the same limitations that um, Earl Scruggs had. Or, or, you know, like, just this sort of idea of doing as much as I can um, with, like, the standard. The tool. Yeah. yeah. Not that there isn't a lot of merit in having those two extra... I can't tell you how many times I wish I had those two <laughs> extra frets. Just push um, it down on the head. You can pretty much... You can usually get it. Yeah. Well, I, I do get this harmonic a lot, actually. This D up here. And I know you can get this... You can sort of get this <laughs> C sharp if you bend it. If you use 
There you go. Yeah. Just oh, have to, you got it on the hoop. You have to use the tension hoop as if it was a fret. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can't say that I've experimented with that. That'll be, that'll be the next thing. Yeah. But no, the, so the main reason though is so to sort of like have a little bit less string tension and have more control with what the tailpiece is doing for the tension because that way I can crank the tailpiece down with, right. this, with less risk of adding too much tension or I could also crank it up a lot. It, I think it'll just open up some options for setup. You're just going with a own tailpiece? I'll, I'll probably just use this tailpiece on it, oh. this pre-war. But the other thing is like having more like clearance when you play further away from, from the bridge is yeah. something. Because you, know, you get used to working around it, but you know when like your finger picks, tap the head. That's sort of, if I could name one pet peeve of mine, it's when my own finger picks are like tapping the head. <laughs> When, yeah, when, I'm, when I don't want them to, like sometimes I do this. I'm glad to hear that that happens to you too. Yeah, but it's it would be really nice to be able to dig in, but still be far, far away from the bridge. That's mm-hmm. sort of the idea. Yeah, yeah. I've played a few like Gnome's banjo, sort of set up that way. I know Gabe Hirschfield has a banjo that's pretty cool, like that, where it's set up a little tall. Uh, yeah, it's the, got, with it's a got raised that neck, sort of raised, however you yeah, want, raised fretboard yeah. thing. Nice. Um, yeah, and they're super fun. Super easy to play. Oh, that's exciting. Also, be getting wide frets. I think I'm gonna go Evo frets. Um, have you heard of those? Yes. And but what's the what's the thing with them? So basically, it's like stainless steel frets, but not quite as dense. Okay. It's like in between the density of nickel frets and stainless steel. Okay. They're, they're, the, the idea is that they'll last longer. A lot more durable. Um, closer to stainless steel in that way. Yeah, but they won't destroy your tools. You know, mm-hmm. that's the issue with. I mean, there are people that can do it, you know, but I know a lot of luthiers just don't want to do the stainless steel frets because it means they have to, like, just retool up after they're done. Oh, like filing them and stuff? Right, because it okay. just, like, eats through their tools. Oh, I, I didn't even realize that. That's me, interesting. Yeah, me neither for a while until I started asking people for it because I was interested in that. But I've, I have Evos on that other banjo. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to get Evos on this, but I don't think I could get them in the... The white, the right size. These are wider frets, but they're not they're not taller than than what was standard for this banjo. Okay, I might get taller frets too. I I'm, I have to explore the, the whole like world of frets. Yeah, you'll have to make a decision here because I do relatively love, soon. I do love the large frets, but I think there's something about the wider frets that it's easier for the strings to buzz. Hmm. I think just which, which too much make, surface on the top of the I crown so. for yeah. it to rattle on. Yeah, I think that's probably. So I it. might I might try just get bigger frets in general. I don't want them too big, though. That like that the pitch will be like variable, like based on how <laughs> yeah, hard pushing you down. Yeah. yeah, so I want to avoid that because I love, I love. I think there is something to be said for the tone of, like getting more tone of like the wood of the wood. fingerboard yeah. and the neck, and not just like only getting like metal touching metal of the yeah. frets, you know. Um, and then your open notes sound different. Than yeah, your... but these these are really comfortable, honestly. I... It doesn't buzz that much, you know. Not that I notice. Yeah, only cool. if I play really hard. Yeah, which I don't do that much, but I sometimes. Yeah. Any other last-minute uh, words of wisdom or really cool banjo playing playing tricks for anyone who wants to play like Matt Davis? What what should they? Oh, what man. should they be working on or what? Well, first what the... advice: don't <laughs> you don't want to play like Matt Davis? No. <laughs> um, uh, practice using like the the third finger on like all the strings instead or well probably not the fifth string but all the others i think that's something that's that's really valuable that can totally open up your playing if you can get that comfortable Hmm. um are you able to keep the fingers anchored while you're doing that so for all but the fourth string and on the fourth string i have to come back and sort of like hang on to the the bottom the 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 high d yeah Yeah. if i was going to go Using the the third finger there on the on the low D. Yeah, always yeah. something more to work on. Yeah, for but, sure. But one thing that's a more general piece of advice I would say to just banjo players in general is that the banjo is capable of a lot of really interesting sounds. And I think a lot of times, like you know, coming up in like the bluegrass tradition, I think it's easy for us to sort of discount certain things as sounding goofy or like not sounding like what what we're after. But I would encourage people to just explore you know, different sounds that the banjo can make. You know, you were talking about that, that Jens Kruger thing earlier, that, that sort of, you know, palm mute thing. I use that all the time. Big thanks to Jens Kruger. I th- yeah, I think it's um, so cool. 
But yeah, and uh, oh yeah, I know. Yeah, sometimes I hear Bailey. That sort of like slapping the strings. Yeah, there's a tune on deviation. Yeah, that he, yep. he starts a solo like that. That's what I was thinking of. And then goes into um, just some other cascade of notes, and it's, it's just so hip. Yeah. Um, but yeah, also, and I do a lot of like, I think I saw Ryan Kavanaugh do this. Oh, yeah, he, he's he's big time into that. Like slapping the, the head. Yeah, using your... That's a, that's a really fun thing. So cool. Yeah. It just opens up a lot of rhythmic like comping possibilities. Also, um, I would advise people to explore your setup for your banjo. I know that there can a lot of times be this sort of like stigma of like I don't want to touch it. I might break something. They're pretty hard to break in my in my experience. Anyways. Right. You know, yeah. as long as you don't force anything, like never force anything <laughs> to happen. You know, be gentle. But yeah, you know, um, go easy with the socket wrench and yeah. yeah. But yeah, just exploring head tensions, um, you know, uh, tailpiece heights. I mean, honestly, just those two things can make a world of difference. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, that's really huge. And just, yeah, having fun with that, seeing what you like. I can, that's one of the most fun things about playing banjo for me is being able to change my banjo to sound more how I want it to. And So exploring is really the name of the game, both in your playing and, and your the banjo itself. Yeah. Yeah, cool. It's fun. <laughs> How do people find your music and your tour schedule online? Um, music, my all my music is on Spotify and iTunes, Apple Music, all that stuff. One solo album. Well, I have I have a couple solo albums out. Some of them are really old and really bad. Um, <laughs> so listen to those if if you want to laugh. Yeah, and and, and uh, hear me when I was really little. Yeah, I have I have a recent solo album out called New World. And I actually have a new album coming out in a month on August 7th. Yeah, I just found out about that today. That's yeah. great. Can't wait for it. Yeah. Um, and that'll, that'll be out on Spotify and everything. And then the bands I'm in that we mentioned earlier, Circus Number no. 9 and Westbound Situation. Let's see, Circus Number no. 9 has one album out, which is on all those same platforms. Yeah. Westbound, we just finished recording an album. And that'll, you can probably expect that to come out in the fall some point so all sorts of stuff yeah yeah that's great um, and also also got a record in the works for circus number nine haven't tracked anything yet but it's coming um i'm thinking probably like next spring or summer you're we'll a busy man try to be yeah. um cool also yeah quick little quick little plug if uh, i've so i've just started a kickstarter campaign for my album feel free to check that out and uh, share that along and uh I, I hate to break it to you. This probably won't even be out until oh, far after that's, okay. that's well, even relevant. You can so. still go back and look at the kicks. It'll still be there. It'll be, it'll be ended, but you can go and look at the Kickstarter. It'll still be a good way for you to learn about the album <laughs> and you'll definitely want to purchase it. Even if you're too late to be a Kickstarter. Yeah. Too late to get the reward of what's, what's the reward you get to oh, drive the, around with you all day. Oh, oh yeah. Spend a day with Matt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, Kickstarter or not, if you want to give me money, we could still... <laughs> it will work something <laughs> still out. still work something out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Great, man. Well, hey, yeah. thanks a lot for offering all your wisdom. It's a lot of fun hearing hearing about what you do and stuff. Thanks, so, yeah. Thanks for, thanks for doing this. It's been great. Yeah, anytime. And that's going to do it for my conversation with Matthew Davis of Westbound Situation and Circus Number 9. And for this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, thanks a lot for joining me. You heard one sound clip in this episode, and that was a track titled Deviation from Bela Fleck's album of the same title. Don't forget that if you like Matt's playing, and if you join patreon.com slash banjo podcast, 
at the $4 per month level, you'll receive a custom lesson based on Matt's playing in the form of a video and also a tab sheet produced by Eli Gilbert, who's a professional banjo player, and he really specializes on nailing down these little stylistic uh, things and tabbing them out for people. So that's a really great opportunity to learn a little bit more about how to take advantage of some of Matt's playing tips that he gave you in this episode. And once again, that's patreon.com slash banjo podcast. Also, if you want to contact the show and give me thoughts or suggestions or feedback or criticize me for touting the Yolo, that's pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks once again to Charles Cusbit for supporting the podcast on Patreon. And that's going to do it for me. I'm going to go get to work on the next episode, but thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you all next time.